Hello, please let me see your motherfucking ticket stubs for the double-edged double motherfucking bill. I can't swear. English, motherfucker! This week, Samuel Jackson puts on the caveman's jumper. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam... I'm not going to swear again. Thomas. And if you absolutely positively need a motherfucking co-host in the room, accept no substitute like Thomas Mariani. Get it? It's it's a reference to one of his movies. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good one. I appreciate it. Oh, hold up! Barging into the room, uh, returning guest uh, you might recognize from our horror remix episode way back around Halloween is podcast host extraordinaire in his own right, Shaquille Lambert. Shaquille, how are you? I'm good, motherfuckers. How y'all motherfuckers do it this evening? (laughs) Uh, This is a family show, Shaquille, and we won't take your harsh language anymore oops i'm sorry sorry this is a a disney channel approved podcast i'm sorry we run exclusively on radio disney streaming service (laughs) shaquille can i ask you a question yes does does thomas look like a bitch what why are you trying to fucking like one then shaquille come on now (laughs) okay i'm gonna stop the stage reading of quentin tarantino scripts right now yes so Shaquille, uh, we've brought you back here, and uh, we obviously gave you a list of topics, and you immediately went for our topic today, which is the career of Mr. Samuel Jackson. Why him in particular, Shaquille? Honestly, I feel like it's weird to say that he's one of my favorite actors, because I feel like he's one of everyone's favorite actors. Like, he's so immensely versatile in everything he's in. Uh, his charisma can make a, an awful, awful movie even slightly bearable for the most part yeah no i just love the dude simple as that yeah you know i don't know that he's like i really like him too but i don't think a lot of people would list him as their favorite actor i think a lot of people really like him and they gravitate towards him and you know like you said his charisma but i don't think a lot of people if you flat out ask him their top three or top five that he would be in the list well i would say he's more just like he's a very ubiquitous actor Uh i mean he's sort of like uh, our modern context for like a michael kane where Samuel Jackson is not so much a well-recognized actor because of one specific role as much as Samuel Jackson is eternal. He has been and always shall be in some regard. <laughs> even in the worst movies, Samuel Jackson is there to work. Like, even we've covered something like The Spirit on the show, Adam. And you can definitely say with that movie, uh-huh. he isn't not putting in his usual Samuel Jackson stick. No, he's going for it full gusto. I mean, I could think of like one or two movies where he sort of slept walk through, but through that's a not a lot given the scope of his filmography. I mean, that's like nothing. I mean, the guy always at least shows up. He just loves working. Right. I mean, he does Capital One commercials for God's sakes. Why does Samuel <laughs> Jackson need to do Capital One? He doesn't, but he does it because, hey man, it's a paycheck. He's honestly one of those people that even though you'll see him in, yeah, in like director video, like schlock or whatever, you're never like, you're not above this. You're just like, hey, he just likes doing what he does. 
<laughs> like you never you're just like it adds a little bit of credibility to it even if he might be not good in it and of course like we mentioned at the end of our last episode the fact that that dude is 70 is mind-blowing <laughs> he does he still looks 50 at best at best. Yep, and the fact that he was fucking 46 when he did Pulp Fiction. Y'all said that, I did not believe y'all for a minute. <laughs> right, considering especially that, like, most people probably first recognized him in Pulp Fiction, but he was around for at least a solid decade before playing bit parts. Like, of course, one of my favorites, Coming to America. Yeah, when he shows up with the shotgun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they beat his ass with a mop handle. Yes, they do. <laughs> Just the fact that that dude has gone through so much, like before Pulp Fiction, that dude was like a serious drug addict, and he was going through, as you can tell from any of those early, early roles, he's definitely kind of spaced out, kind of druggy, and obviously like Jungle Fever was like his first big, like, oh wow, this guy's noticing attention, and then Pulp Fiction made him a star from there. But what would you say is like an underrated Samuel Jackson role? Um, shit, you just put me on the spot right there. I'm going to just look through, like, all the stuff that I've... Like we said, he's been in a bunch of shit. Um, I say that the brief moment he's in 1408, because, honestly, that's one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. I think he's really great in that for the brief moment that he's in. Um, I'm trying to think of other stuff right now. I'm trying to just, like, buy time. Go back to me in a minute. Right, right. We'll, we'll come back to you. I, I think we've covered one on the show. I think, honestly, his best performance in anything, because he manages to be a lot more subtle and a lot more intriguing, is Unbreakable. I think that is such a masterclass, very understated performance. And I, I wish he would do that more. He's done it a few times since yeah. and before Unbreakable. But I, I would love to see him do more quiet, understated performances like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree, man. When he's, I don't know that restrained is the right word to use, but when he is a little bit more subtle in his performances, I mean, the guy really has chops. I even love like his bit part, like the other guys in the very beginning. I think he's hilarious. I love his voice work, like in uh, The Incredibles and things like that. Even though it was kind of a shit movie, but even him in Lakeview Terrace, he was really, really good. And like I, my other choice, Black Snake Moan, I mean, he's just fantastic in that movie. Even though it's technically like an anime, I'll, I'll say fucking uh, Afro Samurai Resurrection because it is an anime film. He's great in that. In terms of like the major shit, we've like, we've all known like the the Nick Fury and the fucking Frozone and all that stuff. I want to point out The Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight is probably my favorite role he's done in a long time, especially because this is probably one of the biggest ones that he's had in a minute because he's essentially the main star of the whole fucking thing. Right, an ensemble piece, he really sticks out. And I mean, we talked, I had some issues with The Hateful Eight, but not one of them is Samuel Jackson. It's a a phenomenal turn for Mm -hmm. him, yeah. For sure. Uh, But we're not discussing any of those films specifically tonight. We're going for um, very obscure, to say the least, (laughs) Man, Uh, with one of our picks. Uh, Our good pick for the evening, which we picked at the end of our last episode, is Adam's choice of The Caveman's Valentine. And then our bad pick is the 2008 film Jumper. One of those you might have heard of, and the other one... You're like, what? You've definitely never heard of. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. Uh, So let's go ahead and uh, enlighten you now on The Caveman's Valentine. You're your caveman. (laughs) You went to Juilliard, huh? How the hell did you wind up here? Daddy, you live in a cave. My home is not a mansion, but it suits me fine. Cops think he froze to death. It's reasonable for us to assume that that's what happened. Very reasonable, except for one thing. He was murdered. Amazon! You see me? I see you right back! 
So, The Caveman's Valentine uh, came out March 2nd, 2001, a bit delayed of a release, given the title. I'm just saying, it's for all you lovers out there, Valentine's Day, come on. <laughs> Smooth jazz. Exactly, yes. Uh, from uh, Casey Lemons, who um, is mostly an actress you might recognize from stuff like Silence of the Lambs, and she had previously directed Eve's Bayou, which starred Samuel Jackson and was produced by him. He was a big proponent of her as a director, and um, I guess, by extension, Adam is the third biggest supporter <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> because like like we kind of mentioned uh this is a very obscure film that uh has i was not really quite aware of and shaquille you even said you had no idea what it was till we told you we were Literally, doing this. yeah the day that thomas told me like the films that we'd be watching i didn't want to be rude but i was like what the fuck is the caveman's valentine and that was literally the first I had ever heard of that film. Like, not even just, like, something I'd hear, hear in passing. Like, that was the first time ever. So to answer your question, Adam, what the fuck is The Caveman's Valentine, since this was your pick? <laughs> well, I mean, what do you want, a synopsis or why I picked it? I mean, both would probably help our audience. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I picked it first. Uh, back in the day, there was a video store right by my house, and I used to buy cheap VHS movies and uh, just watch them while I would draw and stuff like that. And every, I believe this was Lionsgate, right? Every Lionsgate movie had this movie's trailer attached to it. If it wasn't Lionsgate, whatever the same fucking company is. I don't know. Where, what do you want from me? Oh, it's Focus. Focus. Yeah. Features. Focus. There you go. Every movie had this trailer attached to it. So I'm like, what the fuck is this? I got to see it. I watched it. I really liked it then. I won't, you know. But uh, the basic plot synopsis, there's Samuel Jackson. He is literally a caveman, as in he's a homeless man who lives in a cave. And uh, turns out he's like a virtuoso pianist. And um, he thinks there's some giant conspiracy against him. And he finds a frozen dead kid in his tree. And that sends him off on this spiral paranoia slash trying to be a detective thing. That's about the best I got for you. Well, uh, how do you feel about it now, Adam, all these years later? I don't fucking like it at all. (laughs) 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 It's just, uh, it was trying too hard. The whole movie's trying too hard to be something that is probably better left to book form. Right. Yeah. It's based on George Dahl's Green's book, which he adapted for the screen here. And uh, you know what, what, Shaquille, how'd you feel about this, uh, going in so blind? This, honestly, like, I was trying to get with it. I don't hate it, but I think this is really, like, there's a reason why this is, there isn't really, like, a following after this. Because this, honestly, it feels like a TV movie that just happens to have Samuel L. Jackson in it. And it's a shame. Like, there's a couple things that it tries to do that's kind of novel, but then they're just kind of distracting. And I know we'll touch into them in a little bit. In a shocking twist of fate, I might be the defender here, just in terms of, I thought it was going somewhere interesting in the first half of the movie. I think the first half of the movie is the most intriguing thing, where you get a sense of Samuel Jackson playing this particular character. But I don't think he's necessarily being too malicious with this, because there's a lot of ways this could be extremely awfully offensive, as a performance, and I don't think it quite is from Samuel Jackson. He's obviously being over the top at points, but also I think he at least treats this character with sincerity. And I do also like Casey Lemons' direction in terms of like seeing things from his perspective. Um, in terms of there's certain points where he talks about like all these mothmen 
that are inside his brain, and it's literally presented as, like, these Adonis-type athletic figures who have giant moth wings. It looks like a fucking Candyman went to, like, Chippendale. (laughs) (laughs) That's accurate. That's so accurate. Uh, Jordan Peele, uh, you know, remake is gonna take a lot from this movie, clearly. Yes. Um, (laughs) He just released this movie with new dumb dialogue. Exactly, yes. Uh, But I think just other, even, like, some some of the more subtle touches, like, when, um, like, the green light shows up and certain other things like that, I think Casey Lemons at least has a lot more interest in showing things from this homeless character's perspective and his sort of mindset and if anything i just think there's a specific point where this movie goes from this could be intriguing to oh no this just fucked everything up i don't know if you guys can guess which moment that is but it's one specific moment where i'm like oh i legitimately don't know because it feels like it it just kind of like progresses in a way that it just felt like it was all maybe that second part but i'll say that i do agree with you to an extent with like the visualization of showing him because he is like a paranoid schizophrenic and there's points. Yeah. When he's like during some of his main bits of paranoia where you do see like the freaky visuals and stuff, but there's a lot of times where it feels unnecessarily distracting where it like, it it doesn't even feel like it's a good way to show that like this can happen at any point. It just feels like they're just doing shit just for the sake of something to happen. I agree with that. It it feels like whatever he had written and described on the page, he also had to get it in the movie, which, you know, some of that shit is probably way better left to your own imagination. Like there's that scene where he's playing the piano for like the photographer and like all the people or whatever. And then he starts getting that mental break where like he starts seeing like the green rays and everything. And that part, I think they did pretty, pretty well. There's a point where there'll be conversations and they'll just have random flashes and it'll turn into like some weird MTV style editing. Granted, it's not something like in saw where it's crazy all the time. But it's still, like, those moments feel really distracting, as opposed to, like, the ones, like, where he's playing the piano and stuff like that. I want to know, though, Thomas, because I'm not sure what scene you mean. It's a great mystery, just like this film. I'm building up so much suspense. It's when Anne Magnuson fucks him. You know what? Never mind. Now that you say that, yeah. That was the (laughs) absolute point where I was just like, oh, movie, no. (laughs) This is bad for a number of reasons. Um, Mainly, like... (laughs) <laughs> it makes no sense for really either character who didn't seem sexually attracted at all to each other. And then also the fact that, and Magnuson, you're taking advantage of a man you clearly can tell has severe, like Shaquille mentioned, some sort of schizophrenia or some sort of mental issue. And you're fucking him? You're taking advantage of this man? <laughs> it's it's yeah. It's really just icky. Yeah, and that whole character, too, where it's just like, she's just there so that they can reveal one bit of information about this mystery, which we should technically mention this is a mystery film about this death that happens. And I'll say, I wish they kind of built on less actually solving the mystery the way they did, and more of the relationship between Samuel Jackson and... Adam left this out, his daughter, who is a police officer, Ingenue Ellis. Hey, um, hey, I think hey, sister girl from Undercover Brother. That is true. That is who she is. Holy yes. shit, yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I liked their chemistry, and I wish they kind of played it more as like a weird buddy cop movie, where it's this homeless dad trying to impress his daughter, who is an actual officer of the law. Those scenes I thought were the most interesting and actually emotionally palpable in the movie, and they just kind of drift in and out in a really un unfortunate structural way that i was kind of disappointed in i would i do agree with that i think she i think she does a solid job 
for the moments that she's in because she's not in it a whole lot but the scenes that she does have i think they're the most powerful parts of the movie especially the one where he's having a conversation and you can tell this is like the first time that she's had a real conversation with her father in a long time but the fact that he's so driven to solve this mystery and you just see like the heartbreak in him like that is really good and i wish there was more of that in this movie and even like this whole mystery aspect that we talk about that like it should be kind of compelling to see like this guy be so driven in solving this case who's not a detective at all and he's still trying to like fight his own psychosis but it just doesn't play out as interestingly as they want it to be and i don't know why i even kind of liked this movie the first time i saw it to be honest like i don't know what i saw then it had to have been drug or drink addled it, <laughs> I mean, it absolutely had to be but i will say uh we didn't mention him yet but i do like colm fjord in this i'm actually a, a fan of his uh, unfortunately, he does kind of play the same role in everything he's in, but he does it well. A, a side villain who shows up, he did that in Thor, where he played the ice giant dude, um, Loki's real father, and also Amazing Spider-Man 2. And the Chronicles of Riddick. And Chronicles <laughs> of Riddick, he's he's that kind of guy. But I, I do agree, that I like him in the scenes where he actually like, confronts Samuel Jackson, and there's a bit of back and forth between them. Um, he has like a an interesting sinister edge, is this like, photographer who maybe did something but it, then again it's calm fewer so you're like oh he's a red herring right when are we gonna get to the real yeah. thing that's, that's, yeah <laughs> for sure Pretty all of that i mean honestly when this came out he wasn't i don't think he was that sort of typecast yet no this is sort of the origin point of that this is his origin story yeah <laughs> i don't know here i was at least surprised that the anthony michael hall stuff wasn't as offensive as it could have been because when yeah. Anthony when Anthony Michael Hall showed up, I'm like, oh guys, this is gonna be with honors or some one of those bullshit movies, but just like, oh, a rich guy takes a homeless person and then now everything's fine, your class system, perfect. <laughs> 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 I just got a saw when you said I just like appeared and like give it a makeover to the background. I don't want to wait. <laughs> it wouldn't be too distant from that but no i actually i surprisingly like the scenes where it's anthony michael hall and the i forgot the actress that plays his wife but the the two of them actually do a pretty good job of like at least coming off as like a realistic version of this silly scenario would be especially when sam jackson comes back to their party at the end of it and they're wanting to call the cops on him and all this other stuff where there's always that uneasy sort of edge of like oh this could go wrong at any second at the very least and plus that scene also gives us samuel jackson butt so <laughs> some bare ass oh, was the best was the, with those horrible fake dreads just trailing <laughs> the top of his desert dunes. Hey, his Elvis Mitchell hair looked really great on him. How dare That's you say such ridiculous. things? <laughs> God. I'll say one thing, though, at least about those fake dreads. One of my favorite things about Samuel Jackson is that no matter how bad the role is or how bad the movie is, I am always excited to see him with a new wig. And this is maybe one of my favorites. That's true. We did pick a double feature that accentuated odd hair choices for Samuel Jackson. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> to put it lightly. Um, but I, I want to ask, so how do you guys feel about Sam's performance in particular? Do you think it's like brazenly offensive or do you think he's at least like kind of trying something a bit more nuanced here it very much skirts the line because when he is going through like like certain bouts i'm like this is so over the top that like it's downright disrespectful but then there's parts where he is more emotionally vulnerable where he's trying to suppress it 
and there's times where I'm like, okay, those are the parts where I feel like you're actually trying to add some depth and some nuance to this character that is not just like a blatant 50-50 Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type bullshit. The times when it gets bad, it gets dangerously close to offensive. But he's good enough to pull it back when it needs to be. I kind of have a feeling that I'm not blaming the director on this one, but maybe the source material alone. It almost feels like he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing at certain times. Like, should I just go crazy because I'm supposed to be schizophrenic and be yelling? Or should I be real, like, sort of morose at times? But I think with the source material and what he was given, I think he he did a pretty good job. Like, there are times where you'd be like, oh, this is going to go really offensive. And it really didn't. It did toe the line quite a bit, like Shaq said, and like you alluded to earlier, Thomas. But let's put it this way. In this giant fucking turd of a movie, he's the peanut. Yeah. (laughs) That's why I think the first half works as well as it does, I think, to me, is because Sam Jackson, I think, is doing a pretty good job of doing his verbose sort of particular stuff. But at the same time, whenever he's especially around his daughter... I think there's a genuine kind of awkwardness and a shyness that comes out. A willingness to, like, try and portray himself as somewhat of, like, a better figure. And if anything, I also really like the scenes whenever the hallucination of his wife shows up. I think those scenes actually do a pretty good good job. Right, especially where, like, the actress mentions, I forget, I apologize for forgetting her name, but she's like, you still think I look like this? And we never actually see her in reality. It's always, like, some Tom and Jerry style, like, above, the, <laughs> like, the waist and below shots of her whenever she shifts up. But I do, I do really like those scenes, especially because it's really, like, his past coming to confront him and how he sort of deals with that. And even, like, when we see a brief flashes of, like, what everyone else would be seeing, of him just kind of, like, looking up and not actually saying anything. It's not like a ghost movie where you, like, cut and it's like, oh, he's talking to nothing. It's just like, no, he's kind of awkwardly staring in certain directions, and this conversation is what he's imagining. I, I really like sequences like that, and nothing else, I wish they, like I said, leaned on that more than... It really gets offensive to me, and there's a moment where there's a hostage situation at a playground at night oh. that involves, like, his daughter, and he's, like, goes full bumbling idiot where he's like, oh, I got to stop the bullet from hitting you, really just so, like, somebody can escape as his daughter's trying to shoot. Like, that's where I'm like, okay, this this just got fucking stupid, quite frankly. Even, so you're saying you're not a fan. I'm saying I'm not as mad at this movie as much as I'm disappointed in it, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Oh, that's so much worse. Well, yeah, because <laughs> I think there's a lot of effort being put into this. This is an example of, like, a bad movie where it doesn't feel like there's much effort going in. It's because it's so earnest is why I think it's more disappointing to me, because I could see this sort of work as, like, maybe, like, a Raymond Chandler-style mystery, where it's a guy who does sort of, like, bump into situations and kind of grasp clues from, like, his untraditional sort of means, and I think that's what they're aiming for. But especially when, like, the whole reveal happens of who it is and the back and forth about, like, oh, this guy was a model for Confiore, but he was actually pretending to be the guy who got killed and all this other shit. So convoluted. <laughs> it is. It's ridiculous. It's really fucking ridiculous. Unnecessarily so. To the point where when they're finally doing that big reveal, I'm just like, I have no idea where the fuck this is going just get to it. Just say you're the villain because we know because you were already sketchy looking from the get go. Yeah, that actor who looks pretty much like if you melded all of the creepy white dudes from the early 2000s into one being, is, <laughs> that's our villain. You can put half of Wes Bentley's filmography in here. In yeah, Wes, Wes Bentley's one of them, like a Stephen Dorff. Um, there's, there's a few others. 
that you like put into a cauldron, and this guy just <laughs> sifts out of it. The D- Jake Gyllenhaal from Donnie Darko. Y- yes, sugar, <laughs> spice, everything nice, exactly, Adam. Yes, that's. You know, I guess we'll go into our final thoughts then, Shaquille, our guest. Your your final thoughts on the Caveman's Valentine. This is honestly really, really forgettable. Samuel Jackson, like I said, he does a good job in the right moments, but there's a lot of times where he's just playing it too over the top. This whole thing just really does feel like an extended episode of a police procedural. Like, this feels like a Law & Order episode, but instead of focusing on the cops, they focus on the one witness who just decides to take shit in his own hands. The supporting cast isn't bad either. Like, the thing is, no one here is excessively bad as much as it's just the story itself is just really, really uninteresting. And that's, again, it's a shame to see that, but that's all I got. Adam? I actually dis... I, not disagree. I actually completely... Yeah, I disagree with everything Shaq said. This movie's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> a swerve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the end. No, I completely agree. Uh, and that's a really good way to put it, too. That none of the performances are, like... You know, you're not mad at any of the bad acting. Nobody really, like... Everybody's trying somewhat. It's the, the story itself sort of betrays the actors. Uh, it's... It's not the directing. I, I honestly do think it's a source material. I don't think anybody knew what they were doing. And it almost feels like Casey Lemon's got another shot to make, you know, which I'm assuming must have been maybe a semi-popular book, adapt it into a movie. And she got the chance and she took it. But I just don't think there was enough there to garner an entire film. I, I, I think this movie's really weak and it is ultimately forgettable. Yeah, and it's weird to say that about a movie where Samuel Jackson puts a match in his mouth and lights up like a jack-o'-lantern, which is literally what he says he does. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, precedes immediately the sex scene that happens, which doubly. Like, why are you fucking this guy who has the mouth of, like, that has clearly a match burn in it? Why why are you fucking this guy? There's there's so many problems with that. That is really the scene where just all falls apart. And in, in a way that I was kind of disappointed, because when Adams, you know, brought this up, I thought, like, okay, this is a weird choice. I mean, I get you were trying to avoid Quentin Tarantino for Marvel movies, which I understand, and there are plenty of options. The obvious. Right, yeah. Uh, though, for the record, there were plenty of Spike Lee movies you could have fucking picked. Uh, but anyway... Hell, if you're uh, going for Hidden Gem, personally, I'm a big fan of 187. I think that's a really, really good Samuel Jackson role. Is that is my most underrated uh, Sam Jackson role, I have no idea what that is. Oh, dude, it's him as, like, a school teacher in, like, this really, like, crime-infested area, and the gangs are after him. Like, it's led by, like, Clifton Collins Jr. in, like, an early role of his. And it is in-fucking-tense, dude. I just, I'm reading this right now on uh, Wikipedia. This is his first, like, top Bill starring role. When was this? 97. That makes sense. So I would have been down for that. Oh, I guess, everybody, the podcast is over. Let's all just quit. We're all done <laughs> podcasting. Listen, listen. It's not your fault. You didn't realize that, it, like, this shit wasn't... Like, you had a good memory associated with it. So you're like, hey, maybe it's still... It, it'll kind of hold up. So I don't... Bl- I do not blame you in the slightest. I've had that shit happen to me before. <laughs> I'm like, oh, ooh, that movie's actually really fast. Well, no, right. And, and the thing is, I can at least say, for my money, it's at least a more interesting movie than our bad one, in that I think there's a lot more interesting effort put into this. It feels a bit more cinematic. I think it's trying for so much and just not achieving it, which is more admirable to me than an outright terrible movie. He has done far worse movies than this. <laughs> you Listen, it'll never be as bad as something like The Spirit. 
Yeah, this this period might be the, the bottom of the barrel. Have you guys seen Arena? Might have heard of it. I'm not entirely certain. It's it's him and the dude who played the muscled brother in Twilight, and he was in that bad Hercules movie. Uh, Taylor Lautner? Oh, not Taylor. Kellen Lutz? Yes, Kellen Lutz. It's a oh, terrible yeah, Or The Man with Eugene Levy. That's oh my bad. god, I forgot that existed. I see that. I was tempted to make that one of my picks, so I'm like, I'm not even that monstrous. What? I'm not gonna... <laughs> no, uh, but but as it stands, it's at least, you know, it's it, The Caveman's Valentine is a curiosity if you're a Samuel Jackson completionist, which brave soul that you are. I, I would definitely say, like, this is one of the curious, weird ones in his filmography. It's not a gem. I wish it was. Instead, it's just kind of this weird curiosity that I don't necessarily regret seeing, but at the same time, it is definitely uh, one that is obscure with good reason. But uh, speaking of movies that have been forgotten to time, uh, remember 2008? Remember all the big, giant movies that came out in 2008? I know, the biggest one you all probably remember is Jumper. They live a life others only dream of. But their freedom comes with a price. You think it could go on like this forever? Living like this with no consequences? There are always consequences. What did you tell him? What into the war? Man, here's the thing. When I remember when the trailers for this first came out, I was so psyched for this. I was like, this is going to be, like, it's essentially like, hey, if Nightcrawler was his own thing, and he could just do, like, he just wasn't blue, but they could do all this badass shit, and all the trailers that made it seem, like, really cool the way they were going to play with teleportation, and whoo, boy, was that not the case. No, that was not the case with Jumper, our bad film, which came out, I think, on February 14th, 2008. So of our two movies, the one not called The Caveman's Valentine came out (laughs) Valentine's Day. (laughs) And I do agree, Shaquille, I remember around the time this was coming out, I was kind of interested, but I never did see it at that point because I heard such bad reviews. But I remember the concept is interesting where it's basically Hayden Christensen of, of course, Anakin Skywalker, Mr. He Killed the Women and the Children. Uh, he killed himself. younglings. He killed younglings. I don't like and it's dry. It's like get the oh, god damn it. Okay, bro. we got we got him out. It was gonna come up at some point. I'm glad we got out early in this discussion. Having seen it now for the first time a decade later, um, yeah, I get why people didn't flock to it. Because uh, you mentioned Nightcrawler, and I had that going into of just like, oh man, you know, X two Nightcrawler that was so dope. They did such a great job of making teleportation cinematic. The trouble is that Doug Lyman with this movie decides to do teleportation in the same vein as, like, on Bewitched whenever something would magically pop into somebody's hand with an edit. <laughs> <laughs> like, all it's missing is, like, a boom sound effect whenever somebody disappears and there's, like, oh, it's a wind machine that slightly makes his hair ruffle or bullshit like that. It's not that inherently cinematic in this movie. It's just, like, a random cut. Like, oh, I'm leaving my New York apartment, and now, poof, I'm at the top of Big Ben. Isn't this great? To be fair, I feel like that's how any regular 20-something would just be so lazy that they just literally teleport at any point. Because see him, like, instead of slightly shifting in the couch, he just teleports from one end to the other just to grab the remote. In the beginning, they make sure he is, like, an 
absolute just jerk. Like, he's watching TV, seeing these people, like, who are suffering from, like, flooding and stuff, and there's like, oh, they need a miracle to go rescue them. And it's just him just watching TV, and then the next thing he does, yeah, he goes to London. Doesn't even go to help those people. Nope, never does. You'd figure that would be, like, a third act thing or something, where it's like, oh, to show his progression, he would actually do that. But no, they kept that consistent. About how much a of a hero. Fucking, yeah, nothing, right. Nope. Just how much of a selfish piece of shit he is, just consistently yeah. throughout the whole movie. So yeah, this is a pretty bad movie, and I picked it. Adam, how do you feel about Jumper? I'm sort of right with you guys that I loved the concept when it was first coming out, and I read the synopsis and all that. I'm like, this sounds like it could be really cool. And then I realized it was Hayden Christensen, and I'm like, oh, fuck no. But then I'm like, Jamie Bell. Jamie Bell is like movie killer. I like the guy, but everything he's in is tanks for the most part. And then the chick from the OC, and I'm like this. And then Samuel <laughs> Jackson with that fucking hair. Yeah, <laughs> crazy wig number two. This movie had so much potential, but then it's like David Goyer is involved. Oh no! Everyone's <laughs> favorite, David Goyer. <laughs> He made Dracula like the word motherfucker for some reason. Obligatory, but the first two Blade movies and Batman Begins, Adam. Yeah, but then you give him the reins and look at Blade Trinity. Dude, I, I, I hate to go on another movie, but I just watched it. Blade calls Dracula motherfucker, and Dracula's response is motherfucker. I like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> yep, as delivered by Dominic Purcell, a.k.a. Yeah. buff Steve Carell in that yeah. movie. That's all I could think of while watching the fucking movie. (laughs) Oh my lord. (laughs) That's what he fucking looks like. But anyway. Jumper Jumper is garbage. It's a really cool idea. But it just doesn't deliver on any of the premise or promise that it has. Like like Shaq even said, he's watching the TV. And you had said, the third act should have been even, even to ape it with great power, great responsibility sort of idea. They don't even try. He's just a piece of shit who wants money and the girl. And that's the thing is that there's the consequences, as Samuel Jackson says, there's always consequences. And the only consequences are really these paladin people who like Samuel Jackson or die in lane, which we'll get to. Yeah. Fuck that whole thing. Um, but that whole idea of like, oh, there's always consequences. Yet really with being a jumper, there isn't any for Hayden Christensen, because like, oh, I might be a jumper, but I can always have a base of an apartment in New York, which is the complete opposite of consequence. He's able to just, like, have this big, lavish apartment and then go around and do whatever the fuck he wants, really, unless a paladin shows up. They create this supposed universe where it's like, oh, these paladins always hunt them down. Why? Is it, like, a religious thing? Is it something that, like, they're compelled to do? There's no real motivation except to be some kind of consequence. They do kind of allude to it being religious because Samuel Jackson does say like only God is should have the power to be everywhere at once. So like, okay, so it is kind of like a religious sect, I'm thinking, kind of thing. But their only way of making Hayden Christensen's character not evil or not like a dick is like he leaves a note because the way he gets his money, he robs banks by just literally just teleporting into the vault. But... He leaves a note saying, I'll pay it back later. He never does. <laughs> no. No. The, the thing is, he could have amassed all that wealth in his whatever age he is, I'm guessing early 20s, and then just stop jumping, and he would have never been caught. Ever. Okay, and so say there is a religious thing. Only God can be everyone's. They did nothing with it. 
Oh, no, they did not. Shame on them for wasting Michael Rooker. I forgot he was in this until he showed up. I was like, oh, oh, boy. You're so much better than this. Yeah, as Hayden Christensen's abusive, but then eventually, like, regretful father, which that would have been an interesting story to kind of develop on, but no, we need to have this whole thing with Rachel Bilson, which the fact that the two of them, Hayden Christensen and her, met and then were engaged for 10 years blows my mind because they are completely vacuous and have no chemistry. Like, they weren't even married, just engaged for 10 years? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Man, at a certain point, you gotta have that ceremony. And they didn't, Shaquille. Thanks for bringing this up and ruining their relationship. (laughs) Again, for everybody. Hayden, I know you're listening. The views of one Shaquille Lambert do not reflect the views of Double Edge Double Bill. (laughs) Come on, we'll talk about your Emma Roberts pizza movie. (laughs) I'll never forgive you for Anakin, by the way. But anyways. That's why, honestly, I would say I slightly disagree about Jamie Bell in terms of, I think he's the most interesting character in this movie in terms of he actually shows some kind of consequence where he's like this guy who doesn't have any connection to anybody and he doesn't have anything big. He just has like a hovel that he fucking lives in. And he has to, like, teleport everywhere. I wish the movie focused on him more. He's the more interesting character compared to Hayden just like, Hey, I'm a douche, but I can teleport from one side of the room to the other. Ain't I fuckable? He is 100% yeah, the most lively part. And the thing is, he does have his own story in a video game that came out for the 360, and it's terrible. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't saying he was bad in it. I'm just saying, typically, it seems like almost most things Jamie Beller is in are not very good. He doesn't have the most consistent career, no. That's definitely... Yeah. Sure. I like him, but he's just in garbage. He was recently in Rocket Man. He was quite good in it. Oh, okay, that's good. Like, literally, the last good thing I could recall him in was... Snowpiercer, and then Tintin. And he was great in Tintin, I'll say that for sure. Yeah, I thought you were going to say Fantastic Four, I was going to reach Oh, the actually, you know what? I forgot he was, I said the last good thing he was in. <laughs> I remember in Fantastic Four. Right, right that's true. Not, not the last great thing he was in. Shaquille's <laughs> words, right. Yeah, the, the last masterpiece, the last magnum opus he was in. Right, Fantastic yes. Four. Yes, exactly. Um, but, but yeah, I, if we focused on him, that would be so much more of an interesting movie as opposed to like having him just pop up randomly over the course of this. Again, Jumper Griffin story available on Xbox 360, PS2, and Wii. You could make something out of it. I'm saying they maybe didn't with that video game. Um, and neither did Doug Lyman with this movie, which was really disappointing considering I think he's a very underrated action director when he wants to be. With like Go or Edge of Tomorrow, obviously, recently, or the first Bourne movie. I think that guy can be really compelling. The problem is it's incomprehensible. Because even though they can teleport all over the place... The way it's shot just makes it seem like you have no real idea of where anyone is or anything is. They, like, they have some cool aspects where, to where they could just, like, bring in, like, at one point when Jamie Bell's fighting Sam Jackson, and he'll just teleport to London and then come back with a bus to try and run him over. Like, that's cool. But again, there comes to a point where Kane Christensen and, and Jamie Bell have their own fight. And because they're teleporting all over the place, they're just like, I don't know what's happening. It's, it doesn't help that the effects in this are garbage. Yeah, they're really bad. Tell you what, though, that double-decker London bus apparently can't stand up to an electric grappling hook. (laughs) What the hell? (laughs) That's your answer? We'll just electrocute him with wires. Get the... Oh, man. Because electricity is the weakness of the jumpers. Guess what? The electricity is the weakness of a human. You know, of a normal person. <laughs> you watch a grappling hook, I'm going down. I can't teleport. I can barely walk my car without losing my breath. 
That's like if the guys who made up Superman were just like, instead of kryptonite destroying him, it's like, oh, what about a really big rock? It's like, <laughs> that could also hurt a human. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> what about if a giant boulder is his weakness? There's no history where big, strong people in mythology are great at picking up giant rocks. Name one good sirs out there. It's all just so muddled with, like, especially the rules of being a jumper. And there's really, aside from this electricity, there's no weakness. Except apparently for your mom coming back into your life and telling you that she left you because of your jumper abilities. But also saying that, hey, you should break up with your girlfriend, basically, because I'll murder her. That whole, what the fuck is the Diane Lane supply of this movie? <laughs> Dude, it comes out of nowhere because it, like, it's a weird, it might as well be a cameo. Um... <laughs> But yeah, her just popping up and then leaving and then never showing up again or her even being brought up in memory or mention until pretty much the end of the movie. Where we also get our Kristen Stewart cameo, which I was not aware of. No, I didn't like, know what that the fuck? I completely forgot that, that even happened. Wait, what? <laughs> Who's Kristen Stewart in this? Did I miss it? Oh, the very, very end. She's His half-sister. A... Yeah. Oh, fuck my... Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> the problem is, yeah, no, you mentioned it earlier. The, the rules are really unclear. Near the beginning where he's developing his thing, he's just like, hey, I just learned how to do it. They don't tell you, like, how he knows how to do it. What are the rules of, like, how to manipulate it, if you can bring in other shit. It's not until Griffin shows up where he just says two things in passing. Where he's like, hey, I can move things if they're moving or whatever. But they don't explain how that he came across to that point and shit like that. Or even the jump scars, as they say. Where like it leaves like the mini wormhole that where paladins can like pull jumpers back through. It's like they bring these things up to immediately use them, but never actually have a reason for them. This movie feels like it was like a dark horse comics one-off comic book that they were hoping would get enough buys where they'd make a series out of it, and then they just made a movie out of it. That's what this feels like. It's a shitty superhero movie, basically. Well, right, and especially in a year like two thousand eight, where there were so many good ones, the ones that completely shaped superhero cinema to be what it is today you define this genre. right yes and this is like one an example of like oh it's an untraditional one and it just like completely shits the bed no wonder it came out in february i guess but you know i guess before we do our final thoughts we've talked about him a bit but would you guys say this is another example where like even in a bad movie samuel jackson still at least attempts to bring it yes because this is one of those times where he does try to bring like his typical like his his villainous roles he has a very certain shtick about him where he's just essentially a super smart ass. And it does work here. But if there's any comment I have to say, bro, that wig, that wig is so egregiously fake. Like you can see all the scenes. <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, he has to bring it because of that fucking wig. They put that stupid shit on his head. He's like, well, now I guess I got to try just to make up for this travesty. Uh, no, I think he's fine in this. Everyone else is just garbage. Well, yeah, because I think he's definitely trying to make up for so much of what this movie lacks. Like, there are scenes where he stabs these jumpers with a giant Bowie knife, and he has to work around the fact that you can't show any blood, but you have to sell the intensity of it, and he's certainly trying to. Somewhat. <laughs> uh, and I think there are even, like, a few bits of, like, Samuel Jackson charm that come out. Like, probably my favorite bit of him in the whole movie is when he confronts Hayden Christensen inside of his apartment. And he says, what thief leaves a note? And he just puts up a big IOU yeah. <laughs> written in Hayden Christensen's handwriting. And shit like that. Or when he goes over to the bank and he's like, I want to see all your security tapes. I want to know who's been in here the past month. Because this guy's probably been in here so many times. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to give you those things. I want them, 
by the end of the day. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that you get Samuel Jackson for, even in a super weak, uninteresting movie like this. So I guess we'll go into final thoughts, but along with your final thoughts, say at least, is this a better or worse movie than The Caveman's Valentine? Shaquille. Okay, I'll say, in some ways, it's both a better and worse movie. It's better in the sense that at least things are constantly happening. Granted, that's also a fucking backhanded compliment because this movie is like 88 minutes, but it feels like it rushed through so many essential components. It's worse because it is a much more poorly made film. But like I said, things are happening and there's a couple brief moments of action where I'm like, this is really cool. And all of them are essentially involving Jamie Bell. Like there's one really, really cool shot where he's like, constantly teleporting in front of Samuel Jackson to do like almost like a super punch and I thought that was cool and then there's a scene with him like stealing a car in Tokyo that was cool but for the most part this has an unlikable protagonist an actually useless love interest very underdeveloped story uh yeah no this movie sucks (laughs) but I'm not gonna lie and say I didn't have a little bit of fun with it like like a tiny like we're talking like 0.10% of fun. Well, Adam, once again with your final thoughts, and is this a better or worse movie than The Caveman's Valentine? The only way I can even compare these two, Jumper to Caveman's Valentine, if I go on wigs, and if I'm going wigs, Caveman's Valentine is probably a better wig. So I'm going to give it the edge over that. Uh, <laughs> there's so much promise in this film, and they deliver on none of it. Yep. So ultimately, it's forgettable, just, just like Caveman's Valentine. And uh, it's like the what could have been outshines the what you got so maybe there's a world where we could get a good jumper movie just uh not this i really do think so yeah it, it really absolutely has a potential so. well yeah i know isn't there like a youtube sort of like series where they're kind of spinning it off or doing something with it right actually yes it's a show called impulse and that's also produced i think it is produced by doug lyman actually oh he's an executive producer so that means as much or as little as you want it to be. And if really they were trying to get a sequel off the ground, because it did, this movie did make its money. Yes, off of its $85 million budget, made $222 million, which isn't anything to sneeze at, uh, but also maybe isn't big enough to where, considering the marketing blitz that was going on with this movie, where Shaquille was talking about, like, it was sort of ubiquitous around, like, the winter of 2007 to 2008. Just like, oh my god, Jumper, you gotta see it. All the kids are gonna want to see it. And they did, but not a lot of them, I guess. Not a lot of them liked it. (laughs) Right, that's true. And I'll say that I would definitely say I prefer The Caveman's Valentine, if nothing else, for ambition. I think this one is sort of just going for, hey, this will be like something that the kids will gravitate toward and we can make it into a franchise. But it ultimately just feels much more hollow, much more uninteresting. I don't think Hayden Christensen deserves the massive amount of backlash he got for Star Wars because he wasn't just him. I feel about him the same way I feel about like a Jake Lloyd where it's like, leave the poor boy alone. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't totally his fault. But to be fair, he hasn't been much better in most things since. Like Aside from like Shattered Glass. Yeah, that's the one. Has, that's what the... other good thing has he been in? Life is a house. Okay, alright, Life is a House, fine. I've heard things about Life is a House, that's true. But like something like A Shattered Glass, I think, is the best use of Hayden Christensen because it manages to utilize his limited range in a way that benefits a character who's like trying to impulsively lie but just can't really pull off the lie. I think it's so interesting. And that would, in theory, be perfect for this movie where you're lying about what you actually do around all the time. But he just comes off so much more dickish. Like, usually he can come off as wooden, 
But here it's so much more of like he's an asshole. He's such an unforgiving piece of shit that even when he's supposed to do his turn over the course of the movie, it doesn't feel believable. Along with the world doesn't feel believable, most of the things don't feel believable, except I give credit to Jamie Bell and, of course, our subject Samuel Jackson for trying. But uh, you can't try and jump. You gotta just jump. Yep. Might as well jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that musical note that we won't get sued for at all, that is the end of our discussion on our two Samuel Jackson movies. Uh, but before we do our picking for next week at the very end of the episode, stay tuned for that. We have our feedback section to read where every week on the Double Edge Double Bill Twitter and Facebook page, which is at DEDB Pod. You can um, find us on Mondays posting about, hey, what's your favorite, least favorite movie related to an upcoming topic we're doing? And in honor of that, uh, with Samuel Jackson, we asked you all about that. And James Rodriguez says his favorites are Pulp Fiction, Unbreakable, and Do the Right Thing for his best. And on the flip side, Jumper gave us the awful image of him with silver hair. Oh yeah, he was in the RoboCop remake too. Ooh, forgot about that RoboCop remake. I really did. We all did. As bad as the wig is, I I do kind of love his wig in this too. I mean, definitely. Yeah, we've talked about some of these other ones, like especially the Spike Lee movies with stuff like Jungle Fever, Do the Right Thing. I feel like those are just kind of a lot more mentioned, not as seen as much as they should be by our modern uh, Mm -hmm. youths, as it were. Also, especially Chirac. He is so fun in Chirac. Is he really? Yes, he plays sort of like a the narrator character that kind of brings all of our characters together, um, and but Greek chorus, as it were, and he's a lot of fun. In oh, that. so it's, so it's sort of like a do the right thing scenario where it's like he's just like he's not part of the main story, but he does wrap around the story, right to a certain extent. But it's much more literally like a Greek chorus where he'll just show up in his sort of striped suit and just be like, "Hey, motherfuckers, look at me, I'm Ryman Shyrek." Gotcha. That's that's what he does. <laughs> I also I just think that's an underrated. Spike Lee movie, I really dig that one. Um, Rachel Hillis says, uh, favorites Pulp Fiction, of course, Unbreakable, Captain Marvel, the first Avengers movie, The Incredibles, and The Hateful Eight. Least favorite, Jurassic Park. Love the movie, but he was not used well. I will disagree with that, because we talked about it on an early episode of the show. It's a small role, but it's not necessarily a bad role for him at all. I understand her reasoning for it, but I don't agree. I mean, he made Hold On to Your Butts a great quote that we also quote from that movie. It's so good. And he's responsible for the best fake arms in movie history. I do love the story about him talking about he was supposed to have his big elaborate death scene where he's chased down by a raptor, and then it just got completely rained out in Hawaii, and he was super disappointed that it didn't happen. <laughs> he just laid a fake arm out. <laughs> That's true. Also, I'm glad, I'm glad of the Captain Marvel mention, because that was the most he's done in the MCU since, like, what, Winter Soldier? And he does a really good job. Yep. It almost reminded me of another role of his, uh, but someone asked about that in a bit, so we'll put a pin in that for a bit. Um, Tori DePina says his favorites include Shaft, Pulp Fiction, Do the Right Thing, Unbreakable, Black Snake Moan, Deep Blue Sea, amongst many others. I even love the Robocop remake. No lie, I thought he was a terrific black Bill O'Reilly. Worst, The Caveman's Valentine, Jumper, The Spirit, Lakeview Terrace, Sphere, and Formula 51. UK just wanted to see my man's in the kill. This motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, fuck you and Robocop. Second of all, (laughs) motherfucker, you were on this show and talked about the spirit at nauseum to the point to where the hosts of the show couldn't speak. And yet all of a sudden this shows up in your least favorites? I don't believe this is Tori. I believe it's like Dory Tapina. This is his fucking job. I don't know. As people who have been friends of Tori's for years, Shaquille and I can agree, no, that is 100% Tori. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is him. 
He's a fucking I, troll. That's what he does. I'll tell you right now, if I ever meet him in real life, hey, I'm going to give him a hug because he, he seems like a pretty nice guy. So he, like, I, you know, I've still never met him in person, but he's an awesome dude who there's times where I just want to yell at him. I love <laughs> he that. knows this. <laughs> he's watching wrestling and he's drinking. He Facebook messaged me. And he'll tell me, like, you watch this match? Sorry, I'm drunk. <laughs> For one, we found another person who's actually seen the caveman's Valentine. That's and true. The other thing is fucking Robocop, dude. <laughs> really? <laughs> No, Tori. I can't wait for the episode where you guys bring it back. I don't want to hear just the conversation that leads to that. It's going to be my last episode. (laughs) Kara Holden says, I'm really upset no one has mentioned Sunset Limited, which I was not aware of. I I don't know what that is. So this is new. That's also another thing that's new to me today. No, no, it's a TV movie that's directed and starring Tommy Lee Jones. Oh. It's based on a Cormac McCarthy play. Oh, shit. Well, now I want to see it. Yeah, now I kind of want to see this. Yeah. Brian Stitcher of The Horror Returns asks, actually, I would like to hear your thoughts on A Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, which, of course, is the Shane Black scripted film with him and Gina Davis, which was what you were referencing, Shaquille. It feels like Captain Marvel is basically a loose remake of that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Like, I mean, I've owned it on VHS for years, but never, ever actually got the chance to watch it. So I know I'm going to I'm going to sit down cuz it's been on my watches for years. That's what I hear from a lot of people. It's the same conceit where it's just like a blonde lady who's super badass has amnesia, ends up teaming up with Samuel Jackson on a buddy cop thing to destroy the man who fucked her over. No, oh, gotcha. Yep, same yeah. fucking plot as Captain Marvel. <laughs> Actually, there's a plucky kid in it, even though just in Captain Marvel's not her kid. I mean, I think it's pretty funny. It's a good Brian Cox side performance. I, there's things that happen now that are a little questionable. But no, that's a fun action movie. Mm-hmm. I would argue the one really, really good Rennie Harlan movie. 12 Rounds is a classic. <laughs> 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 no, Long Kiss Goodnight's a really fun movie. I really like it. Shaq, I think, you'd, I think you'd enjoy it. Samuel Jackson's really fun in it. Gina Davis kicks a lot of ass in that movie. But but anyway, um, we also had some feedback from Mr. Jeff Larimore, who's been a supporter of ours for a while, who said, uh, Thomas, great guest spot again on The Horror Returns. This double-edged double bill episode looks to be great. Thanks, Jeff. We always appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. You know, I was on The Horror Returns a couple times, too, but that's okay. No, let's just talk about Thomas. <laughs> it's the Thomas show. Oh, it's not, well, that's fine. Oh, that's good. Fuck me, I guess, right? Right? I should have picked a Spike Lee movie tonight. Adam, who? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. It's Thomas. It's still the Thomas show. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Featuring Adam. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I give you first billing all the time. Mostly just because it's a fun coupling where it's like Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani. Y'all really should have named this The Adventures of Thomas and Thomas like The Adventures of Pete and Pete. That's our spinoff. Get ready for it. <laughs> but uh, thank you to all of you who submitted feedback. And thanks to people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used on our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. She accepts commissions at fiverr2rs.com slash eescarta. And of course, a thank you to our returning guest, the always endearing... Shaquille Lambert. Shaquille, you do a bunch of stuff. Go ahead and start your plugging. Oh boy, there's a there's a whole lot of shit. Um, you can mainly find me over on the Sequels podcast where we talk about direct-to-video sequels to popular films. 
we are over at Sequels. That's Sequels with two E's. You can find us there on pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can also find me over on oneofus.net where I help co-host a bunch of shit, including Their Final Watch Begins, Eye on the Prize, occasionally The Breakfast Pub, and a couple other things uh, over on the Screener Squad, which is like VOD reviews and stuff like that. Uh, I'm. I also have a couple guest spots on things like Chase and Statham, which is a Jason Statham podcast where they invited me on to talk about how awesome Crank is. And also, the uh, Talk Film Society has a Patreon page, and one of the Patreon exclusive shows is a show where the editor in chief, uh, Marcelo, he started watching wrestling again. And then he invited me on to go talk about Money in the Bank. So that's another really fun thing. So check out all those things. And I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting one or two things. But, oh, yes. There's a podcast called The Waffle Press. They invited me on to talk about the movies that came out in May. About how awesome John Wick is. About how good Booksmart is. And how Guy Ritchie's King Arthur may be a little, little bit underrated. And yeah, that's that's pretty much all the things I could think of right now. I feel like I'm forgetting one of those things. But there's... There's a whole fucking lot of things that I do. Did you say you were at Shack Excellence on the social media? Yes. Oh, right. My own fucking social media. <laughs> at Shack Excellence. That's S H A K Excellence. That's my handle on every social media out there. <sighs> <laughs> we put the James Brown code on him so he could get out of here. It's just, oh, too much. <laughs> I want to add two things to what Shaq said. One is, I agree with you, King Arthur, not that bad. Two, sequels already has two E's in it, Shaq, so you fucked that up. Sequels with three E's. It's S. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know what? You got me there. I got to start saying that now. <laughs> like, on the podcast, you guys do just say two E's, and the grammar Nazi in me is just like, um, excuse me, I believe there's three E's. <laughs> sequels is a fun show, and of course, that also features a previous guest, Sarah Sorrentino. Um, as a regular, and it's always fun on that show. I know we gotta get Allie on at some point on here, and we might in the near future. Hey. But you can also follow us in our rinky-dink fucking show um, at Pod on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can also email us at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. And, in fact, we do recommend that you follow either the Twitter or the Facebook, especially very soon, because um, about a day after this goes out, on June 12th, we're putting up a little interactive poll um, where you guys, uh, you know, probably hear our show, and it's like, oh man, the random selection, so much that's there. I wish we could pick a movie for them to cover. Well, uh, guess what? You guys can! On the, like I said, the day after this episode comes out, June 12th till June 19th, you all can vote in two different polls for the bad choice for, at the end of the month, we're doing an episode of the movies of 2019 so far, and Adam has those two options, and we don't have them as of right now to say, but they'll be up there on the Facebook and Twitter page, you guys can vote on them, and whichever one wins both those polls collectively is going to be the bad movie that we cover for our 2019 show, and uh, Adam, I'm sure, is cooking up those choices. I am, and I'm going to try to make them something that's accessible for, uh, you know, everybody else to see. If I can't figure out anything, I'm just going to make them both Weekend at Birdies 2. <laughs> yes, the 2019 remake of Weekend at yeah, Birdies 2. Yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah. about this. <laughs> yep, it's happening. Well, actually, guys, if you really look at it, it's sort of a quasi-remake of both films, or this reboot, this big franchise they're planning. The Weekend at Bernie's verse, it's going to be big, massive, everyone's going to love it. <laughs> the Bernie-verse. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the Birdiverse. <laughs> uh, you can also follow me on my own individual account at Not the Who's Tommy. You can read my writings where it's like reviews and other stuff like that or posts about this own show at uh, MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. And uh, you can find Adam living in a cave in New York with big dreads. And apparently I'm a piano genius, but I really only know how to play half of chopsticks because I'm not ambidextrous and uh, I never learned how to read. <laughs> uh. all the big reveals just happening um and you can also um make sure that we uh keep on going here by sharing the show around or subscribing to us on platforms like spotify or youtube or stitcher or i guess itunes for whenever tim cook kills it though that might be a problem yeah man r.i.p itunes am i right <laughs> i guess it's happening guys um i don't know whatever apple podcast app that hopefully will work, unlike the current one. This is a damn good show, hosted by some damn good people, and you should enjoy it every single week, and you should be paying attention every single goddamn week. Love this shit. This shit is great. You know, that's a lot of swearing and blasphemy, and I don't know if I want to attach my name to that. This is the Lord's podcast. And- <laughs> the Lord's show. Obviously. Um, we have to do our picking for next week, and because we've got Toy Story 4 coming out, the sequel no one really wants, because they fucking did it fine with that ending yep don't need it nope we don't need it at all um but pixar decided to release toy story 4 so we're doing an episode about pixar which i mean i grew up watching pixar i know shaquille obviously did for sure and i'm sure adam you're a fan to some extent right yeah i'm a fan i didn't necessarily grow up with it because i'm a little bit older and more mature than you guys obviously but yeah <laughs> what you uh, saying, you old motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> hold on i gotta i gotta go pee you made me laugh uh, <laughs> no no yeah i'm a huge fan i love pixar especially having a child of my own you know uh, just having her watch them with me and she loves them that's adorable but of course uh even despite your love you have the responsibility of doing the bad picks which are a bit more ubiquitous as of recent, especially with Pixar. <laughs> They've kind of a bit faded. We'll talk about that probably next week. But uh, you have the two bad picks, and I have the two good picks. And uh, we've both assigned each of them numbers randomly between 1 and 10. And usually we would each pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal our fates. But when we have a guest like Shaquille, he gets to pick. So Shaquille, for my two good choices, number between 1 and 10. Four. All right. At number three, I have one that a lot of people really love the opening of this movie, but I don't think they give the rest of it a fair shake, uh, because I think it's all around a near masterpiece. 2009's Up. Oh, man. you Get ready for your emotions to get all fucked up again. <laughs> well, I haven't see, Actually, that's one I haven't seen in a while. I haven't actually shown that one to my kid because of the opening. So I'm excited for that. Ooh, now you got to teach them the possibility of, hey, death She's is a thing. The way she doesn't know. She still has to wear a bib when she eats cereal. Charlie, what was your alternate? My alternate choice uh, was at number eight. I think one that has gotten a bit blindsided in terms of uh, with a recent sequel, Toy Story 2, which I will contend is not only the best Toy Story movie, but one of the best sequels ever made. I love Toy Story 2. I'm debating That's- on whether it's the best Toy Story, but I will agree that it's one of the best sequels ever, because I think that actually might be like the second or third movie I ever saw in a theater. It was very early on, I know that for sure, so that has a very special mark to me. I Like, I love that movie. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Toy Story 3 a lot, but I would argue that um, it's cribbing a lot from Toy Story 2, which makes it not a bad movie by any yeah. means, but still just like a slightly inferior one. 
But speaking of inferior, now you gotta pick a number between 1 and 10 for Adam's bad choices. You know what? I'm gonna also give you number 4. Alright. At number 2, I have The Good Dinosaur. That's I know a lot of people are not crazy about that one. Well, it's not, I don't think it's necessarily a lot of people aren't crazy about it. I don't think a lot of people saw it, because you have to figure The Good Dinosaur came out, what, like six months later, Inside Out came out? No, vice versa. For, Inside Out came out first, and then The Good Dinosaur. Oh, there you go. That's it. Okay, so there you go. Gotcha. Right. So Good Dinosaur just swept up in the Inside Out craze. I mean, people were nuts over Inside Out. Right, and also a bunch of other, like, bigger movies that were coming out around that time. I, yeah, I just remember, like, the people who did see it were just like, eh, it's... Yeah, especially yeah, in the wake of Inside Out, they're just like, hey, this is kind of whatever. Right. What was the alternate? I'm, right. I, if I can guess what it is. I had Brave. Oh, okay, you know what? Never mind. It's not what I thought it was. Right, we all anticipated Cars, Cars 2, 2, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I purposely avoided Cars because fuck those movies. And I also didn't want to do sequels. Gotcha. So, <laughs> so I would have done Cars 2 and Finding Dory right off the bat. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, for some reason it's controversial about Finding Dory, but I, no. Fuck yeah, no, I'm not, not for a me. fan. No. I, yep. I never saw it because I always felt like, I don't need, like, I like Dory in, the, in Finding Dory, oh, a... I don't need to see a full movie about her. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You really, really don't. But <laughs> uh, thank you, Shaquille, for doing that picking, and uh, now we gotta get the motherfucker out of here, right? Yes, sir. Long live Giant Condor. <laughs>